So I am always advocating for moms just taking a step back. And if they do, if they, if they're normal drinkers, more power to them, right? If you can just have one glass of wine, super one glass of wine is actually six ounces. Okay. Not eight, 12, 14. (laughs) Great big glasses. Right. Yeah. Seriously. Like they think, oh, it's good. My doctor says one glass of wine is good for me. I'm going to get those polyphenols or they don't even use those words. That's what I'm using. Um, But, you know, my doctor said it's good for me. It's going to help my skin. If it's going to be one glass of wine, then it's one glass. But it's never just one glass. I don't know one single mom where it's just one glass. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe Leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. To celebrate releasing more than 50 episodes, we've been running a little competition, and this week it's your last chance to enter, as we're planning on announcing the winner next week. All you have to do to enter is give us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot of your review and DM it to the Tribe Sober Instagram page. That'll be your entry for the competition. Winner will be announced in a few weeks' time, so please enter today before you forget. The prize will be a free one-hour Zoom coaching session with our awesome recovery coach, Lynette. If you want to know more about Lynette, just go to tribesober.com and hit coaching, which is under our services. Now this week, my guest is Lane Kennedy. Lane describes herself as a mother in recovery, and indeed the title of her podcast and her website is Recover Like a Mother. Lane quit drinking way back in the last century, 1996 to be exact. For her, putting down that last drink was just the beginning of a journey that continues 25 years later. She describes continuous recovery as looking beyond the norm, answering questions we don't want to, and finding new ways to connect with our deep inner selves. Have a listen to Lane. Just her lovely voice will make you feel calmer. Janet, it's good to be with you. Uh, I am coming from, well, today it's a foggy day here in San Francisco. Lovely. Okay. So you've been sober for a long, long time. I thought I was doing well with my six years, but you've been sober more than 20 years. Can you cast your mind back to those drinking days and just uh, tell us a bit about them? What was going on and why did you decide to stop? Yeah, my drinking days were really fun. Like, I mean, it was fun. It was a good time. I lived a very uh, glamorous life. I lived in Los Angeles and I was a part of the entertainment industry, fashion 
industry and it was very fast paced. I drank with the who's who's list and it was always around always. And it was normal. It was just, well, everyone's drinking, so I'm going to drink. Right. But what the, the difference was, is that they could get up and function in the morning where they could like stop where I would drink until two, I would get in the car and drink in the car. Uh, they would get a taxi, right? I, I didn't drink normally. And the thing about my drinking is that I would drink and then I would put it on the shelf for a while and just kind of like get healthy. <laughs> I'm really healthy. Uh, and so I would stop. And so I didn't think that my alcohol was a problem because I would be able to like, just put it on the shelf and not drink for a week or two weeks. And the minute that I would pick back up again, I would be in a blackout or the next time I would drink, I would be able to stop at like two glasses of wine. But then the next night I would pass, you know, blackout and pass out. So there was no uh, real consistency about it. I couldn't really control it or manage it. And at the very end of my drinking, my life got really small. Like all the people that I had been with at those big parties, uh, I wasn't really a part of it anymore. And I lived in this big house in the Hollywood Hills. I had, you know, five closets. I had a lot, I had a lot of stuff mm -hmm. and none of that stuff made me happy. And so I just kept drinking to try to like figure it out. I was just trying to always figure it out. Like, how come I'm like not feeling good today? How come I just lost that job? H how come they didn't call me back? Right. Like I would, it's like, what, what's the problem? Like, I'm great. And the problem was, is that I remember one of the designers saying, uh, Lane, can you just go in your dressing room? Uh, you just need to just be over there for a little while. Cause I reeked of vodka. So it was, uh, in my eyes, it was glamorous, but it really wasn't. It's glamorous and fun until it's not. <laughs> until it's not, it's, until it's not right. Like I, I try to stop drinking uh, on Thanksgiving. You know, it was it was epic. I ended up not being able to quit on Thanksgiving. Like I was going to do one of these, you know, two weeks cleanup kind of thing. And I ended up uh, cooking the turkey in Jack Daniels. Then uh, the turkey was still in the oven the next day. I proceeded to order in Los Angeles, you have this really cool service called Pink Dot. And I ordered a case of wine. Uh, you know, I, in my mind, I was having a bunch of people over, but there were three of us. And that was the beginning of the end for me. I yeah. beat my best friend up. I put her and gave her a concussion. And it was pretty horrifying because I don't remember any of it. Uh, what I do remember is that uh, the pictures that were shown to me of what happened. And I still have those pictures. I mean, I didn't get sober until, uh, you know, that following month, uh, December of 1996, uh, December 31st. That is my date that I, I never want to lose that date. 
No, no. It's a, a special day. Your, your life turned around that day. Yeah. Just uh, That's the biggest thing, isn't it? Just to be able to accept that we've got to change and reach out and get some help. And everything else, it's it's practical, but that 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 is huge. And when people can get to that stage, their their life will change. So, was there one event for you, or was it someone saying something to you that that made you decide to go to AA? I think you went to AA. Uh, there was no event. The event was my life felt like it was falling apart. Yeah. And at the time, my girlfriend. Uh, it's so, it's kind of just wild to think back about it. You know, we were visiting her family on the East coast in Boston, Massachusetts, and her family, her parents were sober. Ding dong. Hello. And they end up saying, oh, we're going to go to this party. Right. Lo and behold, it's a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh Uh-huh. And I walked in and all of these people were super happy. Like they like handed me a cup of coffee and cookies. And I was like, yes. (laughs) And then they said, here, darling, why don't you sit in the front row? And I thought, that's right. You give me the front row, right? Like, you know who I am, right? Like (laughs) that's what I was like, like, come on. It was just, but they were so nice to me and I sat in that room, you know, completely not knowing what I was doing and heard the message of recovery. Awesome. Pretty profound. And was it relatively easy for you or was it really difficult? You you worked the 12 steps, I presume, and how, how long did that take to get through it? <sighs> I think I, it took, it. you know, it took a good year at least. Yeah. You know, I am one of these people that I think I'm really smart and I can figure things out. And so I thought that I could figure it out on my own. And what ended up happening is that, you know, by the time I was 90 days sober, I was, I was literally crazy because I didn't have a solution. My solution was taken from me and I was stuck with my thinking, which was so distorted. You know, like I thought, that uh, my designers were calling each other, talking about, you know, my behavior. Like nobody, I'm not that important. Okay. (laughs) So it was, it was kind of wild. But then at that 90 day mark, I, I kind of made a decision, like I need to change and I need to jump in to this thing called recovery and figure it out with someone else. And I was still resistant, but I did it. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah, it's a matter of giving up the control, isn't it, to to somebody else, really? Yeah. Well, awesome and well done. And did you have uh, those first few years of recovery? Were they were they difficult? Did you ever relapse, or was no. it relatively plain sailing? Yeah, I am. Uh, I am of the variety that I did not relapse. I have not relapsed. I don't want to relapse. Uh, I've had continuous sobriety. And that's really important to me. I didn't know that you could relapse. I didn't know that that was an option. 
<laughs> well, like, plenty of people do. But, yeah. but I, I must say, I, I feel, I always say that I don't have another recovery in me. You know, yeah. I, I've done it and it was huge and it yeah. took a lot of work and I'm done. I'm not going round in that cycle again. I, I wasted too much of my life doing that. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. So I'm really glad that I have stayed sober. I love that. You didn't know you were allowed to relapse. <laughs> yeah. They, they, I, I heard, I think I was like a year sober and somebody said I slipped and I thought, well, did you, ha- did you have to go to the hospital? Did you break your hip? <laughs> like, you know, and they were like, no, I'm fine. I, I'm fine. I didn't go to the hospital. I'm like, what do you mean you slipped? Where, where did you hurt yourself? And they're like, no, I took a drink. And, I, and it, it like, poof, my mind blew open. I was like, yeah. oh, what? <laughs> yeah. So talking of minds blowing open, that happened to all of us on 9-11, didn't it? The whole world was was completely shocked. And and for you, it, it really changed your life dramatically, didn't it? T- tell us how your life changed after 9-11, please. Yeah, 9-11, I remember it like it was yesterday. It's it's it's, it's really I remember who I was with, I remember what I was doing. Uh and what happened as a result of it, you know, I packed my belongings and I left the United States. I I was lost. The Americans were just attacked and I thought I'm not safe here. Where can I find safety? And I didn't have any answers at all, but I was drawn to pack my bags and check myself into Thailand and I, I landed in a, a Buddhist Wat and I, I studied Buddhism and I realized that the only place that I'm safe is within myself, Yeah. right? Like I'm in that foreign land and it was crazy over there, right? The world was in turmoil. Uh, but what I found was this doorway in or like a doorway into an inner freedom. There was a sanctuary that got unlocked as a result of me showing up amongst these people that didn't know me, uh, were chanting at three o'clock in the morning, uh, eating ants and sleeping on wooden pillows. They had so much compassion and empathy for me that they just allowed me to be there. And that changed my, like, that changed the path of my life. And how long did you stay there, Lane? I was there for about a month, but I was in, I was in Thailand in general, uh, or or traveling in that part of the world for about uh, eight months. Right, right. And, you know, a lot of solitude, a lot of service. It it just, it transformed the way I see things today still. Yeah, quite obviously. And I love what you say about the the safety that we can find. It's within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, that probably, that experience must have led you to getting into meditation seriously a bit later on. You you tell a story, I think it's on one of your podcasts about, um, helping a lady, I don't know if it was at AA, and she kept ringing you and saying, I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink. And you kept saying, don't drink now, don't drink now. And in the end, you told her to meditate, didn't you? 
Yeah. And, and that kind of worked. And that led you to meditate more and do your work that you do now. So talk us through that a bit. That's, that's a great story. Yeah. It, it's really interesting how, you know, we look outside ourselves for answers. But in reality, every answer is from within. It's a very small, still place. And when she was calling me saying, I'm in a drink, you know, the first part of that story is, well, go ahead and drink. Like, get it done and get it out of your system. Because I think if people are going to drink, they're going to drink. It's like, I can't stop them. But it allowed that conversation to grow and to evolve into her then saying, oh, she keeps telling me to drink. I have this voice inside me that's saying, I don't want to drink. And then I was able to say, well, why don't you start meditating? And then she heard, I'm going to start meditating. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a really magical experience because what it did for her is that, you know, she's now six, six years sober, I think. And she has a really robust practice, but it showed me the power of meditation and what happens. And and since then, you know, I've gone down this rabbit hole of neuroscience and studying the brain and really investigating the power of looking within your own psyche, looking within your own mind, going underneath the critical hyper-focused mind. And when we do that, we, we are gifted this ability to do anything, honestly. Like we have that power within us. Yeah. So I I guess you have a a daily practice. Do you practice, do you meditate daily? I do. If I don't, I'm a wreck. Interesting, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure you have a very busy, hectic life and, and then you can just switch off and do your meditation. Or do you get up at five o'clock? And no, I get up time? early. I'm up early and that's the quiet time. Uh, I hour, I, you know, I meditate for about an hour and if I'm lucky, I can do more because I go into this, it's a place of pure um, magic, mystical it's a mystical experience. Uh, and that's what I think I was searching for when I was drinking. Yeah. Like I wanted to get into that checked out place. Like it's not a checked out place, but I was checking out, right, as I was drinking. Uh, and I'm able to do that in meditation daily. And then sometimes I'll sneak in a little meditation in the middle of the day. Secret meditation. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. And now you're you're helping other people. Uh, I I think you, you have a membership, don't you, for people that that want to learn more about meditation. And I know on your podcast, some of the sessions are meditation sessions. So talk to us about your your work a little bit. Sure, I really believe that that's the answer. Like really, you know, with any addiction, whether it be to pills, um, alcohol, food meditation and mindfulness are the answer. And the research around just living a more mindful life decreases the use of substance, which is super powerful. Uh, And so I started doing uh, this work about four or five years ago. I don't even know what it is now. Uh, And 
sharing the gift of mindfulness and people think, oh yeah, I know how to do it. I'll do it. And then they don't do it. You know, when people find me, they're like, just teach me how to do it. How do I do it? And so that's really my gift is showing people this path to mindfulness and meditation because there's so much out there. And now it's become like this buzzword, you know, this Mm -hmm. buzz thing, especially after COVID or during COVID, right? This whole, the pandemic, uh, live a mindful life. And you can read an article about it, but the the practical application is different. So I created a whole program around mindfulness specifically uh, for people in recovery. And specifically, even one more step from that is around relapse prevention. Um, You know, there's no guarantee, right? Like I can't guarantee it just like any other program can't guarantee anything. But again, research, when you start changing uh, your, your behavior and the actions, you, you change the neurochemistry, you change the way that your perspective is involved with your actions and then relapse becomes less and less. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Oh, that that sounds amazing! Yeah, a meditation course for people in recovery—that that all comes together beautifully, doesn't it? So, how can people get involved? Is it a, a one-to-one thing you do, or groups, or on Zoom? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, this is all great, Janet. I love um, so yes, I have one-on-one. I have group. Uh, the podcast is a you know I do. I have conversations with mothers in recovery. And then in between those conversations, I also offer meditations uh, just to give a little flavor, a little bite size taste of it. Uh, And then, you know, this, I have a a program again, specifically for relapse. And then I have a program specifically for mothers uh, about instilling this innate ability that we have. We have it. It's there. But how do you get in touch with that? I, I get the, I get this question all the time. Like, how do you get in touch with it? And so that's what I teach people is, right. is how you can get in touch with it. And so you can learn all that kind of stuff over on my website, uh, either at lanekennedy.com or recover like a mother. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So talking of mothers, um, yeah. I I was talking to somebody on a podcast the other day. She was a a mom of three and she'd been uh, a crazy party animal when uh, a bit like you and me when we were much younger. (laughs) And then she got married and she had three children quite quickly. They didn't have much money and, and she'd had a good job as well. So suddenly she was at home, three children, very little money and either really stressed with the kids or, or bored and she was she was just miserable so that's when her drinking really escalated and she's you know she's got herself together and she she's stopped now but she we were talking about how motherhood is glamorized these mm-hmm. days you know mm-hmm. we see it on instagram feed and all these beautiful women with their beautiful children and and you know you and i know the reality of of motherhood i mean i think we've only had one haven't we each oh. but even so i still remember those early years so i think you know something like like you're offering for for the mums will will be so so useful and powerful 
So, so let's talk a bit about the mummy juice oh, culture, yeah. which is, is massive. I mean, my son's nearly 40. When he was little, used to go to kids' parties, and there was always wine there for us mums, and that's years ago, and it just seems to have got worse and worse. It's always Do you there. find that over there in, oh, it's uh, in California? It's, it is everywhere. And... I like the way that you brought up the Instagram because you you, you see those really uh, perfect picture Instagram feeds and motherhood. It looks really great. But the truth of the matter is, is motherhood is the hardest job. So how do we stop that? Well, mothers think that wine is the answer. And then we're, you know, marketed that that's the answer. And, you know, it's become such a big, huge part. It's an industry that's pushing substance on us. So I am always advocating for moms just taking a step back. And if they do, if they, if they're normal drinkers, more power to them, right? If you can just have one glass of wine, super one glass of wine is actually six ounces. Okay. Not eight, 12, 14. (laughs) Great big glasses. Right. Yeah. Seriously. Like they think, Oh, it's good. My doctor says one glass of wine is good for me. I'm going to get those polyphenols or they don't even use those words. That's what I'm using. Um, But, you know, my doctor said it's good for me. It's going to help my skin. If it's going to be one glass of wine, then it's one glass. But it's never just one glass. I don't know one single mom where it's just one glass. And then it becomes into the, you know, the, um, the tumbler that goes to the playground. And so I think it has to come there has to be a shift or a movement. And I, I see this happening right now in the alcohol free space. There's a, like a big push of you, you can drink this instead. Yeah. And still yeah. look glamorous and still look like you're part of. Uh, so I really love that messaging, but I think it also has to come from people who are in recovery Yeah, and show other mothers that it's possible that they can live without drinking. And it's really self-abuse. You know, after one five, six ounce glass, then it becomes self-abuse. Yeah, the rosé all day. (laughs) That rosé all day, I'm like, that Tropicana ad. um, it's, It's going up against, you know, corporations. Yeah. 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 I mean, we've got to get smart and see yeah. through all that bullshit really. And, yeah. you know, realize that I was watching the good wife the other day. I don't know if you know that. Oh, one, I don't watch that show. Is it great? She was drinking enormous goblet of uh, red wine you know, and she had several. And then the next day she's in court you know, yeah. performing yeah, no. brilliantly. It's like, I don't think so. No. And I think once you can see through it, it loses its power. So somehow we've got to get smart and, and not be brainwashed. We've got to deprogram ourselves, haven't we? I mean, when I was a teenager, it was it was very cool to drink a lot. You know, it was quite rebellious. And But now I think us non-drinkers are the rebels because, you know, the other way they're just doing what everybody else does. <laughs> and it takes courage and it takes confidence. And it's, it's quite, quite special to be able to do this. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. And I think it's all about in how the message is, right? So when we're kids, 
You know, it was just say no for me. I grew up with just say no. And that didn't work because that made me want it more. You know, this is your brain on drugs. There's the egg cracked open. I was like, really? I'm going to try that. Like that, the messaging, (laughs) it's just, so it's how do we create a different message that normalizes the experience or makes it so it's not enticing, right? So with my son, uh, my husband, he, he drinks, he'll drink, he'll drink the five ounces of of wine (laughs) and then he's done. Right. Yeah. Totally normal. Um, where my, so my son is watching this experience of my, my husband and me and, you know, opposites. And then I have this conversation with my son about the reactions that I have when I pick up a substance and I'm giving him that information because I know that in school, they're not going to, that messaging is going to be far from uh, agreeable, I guess, to me. So I want to make sure that he understands that he doesn't have to be abstinence, but that's a path that he can take if he so chooses. Yeah. And, you know, there's a big movement in the younger generation that is, I'm taking a stand for abstinence, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's just all in how we communicate the importance of how we want to treat our bodies, how we want to shift, uh, motherhood, right? These are all conversations that I think sober people need to start having more openly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think education is key because, if we don't educate ourselves on just how bad alcohol is for our brains, for our bodies, the um, you know the movie industry is going to educate us, and the, all the ads, the liquor ads, are, are going to educate us into thinking that you know, we need their their product if we're going to have a, a glamorous and interesting life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think education is everything, and as you say, you know your son's not going to learn it at school, but I really wish they would teach more at school. I, I run these workshops and, and I, I love all these grisly diagrams. You know, I've got them on big slides. I've got, my favorite one is, is somebody drinking out of a bottle and there's a snake, you know, oh, going God. down, uh-huh. down the, the esophagus and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and everywhere that the alcohol is touching, it, you're prone to cancer. And that's, um, and that just demonstrates it's, yeah. it's such a poison. Such a poison. So, you know. I think I think people need to to understand more and and knowledge is power really. I mean, I had no idea how how bad my bottle of wine a night was was you know just it was just like having cups of tea you know. Right. It's just you know. well, I think what's interesting is like there's people like Holly Whitaker who are just yeah, bashing. I love her. Like you know, she's just a basher. She's going to get out there and she's making a movement. But what's really cool about Holly is that people are like, what? What is she saying? Right. People like hear that and then they want to know more about it. Yeah. Right. So there's this, again, I love that there's a, an incredible movement in the online space of this awakening and it's this younger, younger generation. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. yes, even though I kind of disagree with Holly, I'm still, you know, if a younger person comes to me, I'll say, why don't you read, like, why don't you check out what Holly's doing? Because she gets really nerdy. <laughs> about how alcohol actually works in the body and what it's doing. And she's done, you know, that kind of research. So I appreciate that a lot about her. Yeah. And I love her book as well. What is it? Quit like a woman. Like a woman. 
yeah. I mean, we, we need a societal shift and, mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. like that, that can make this happen. We need more sober influencers, don't we? Well, it's, it's like you and me, right? You know, there's a lot yeah. of people that are starting to stand up and say enough is enough. We're yeah. di- like let's, women let's, are dying. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah. In droves. I mean, let's, let's not be manipulated anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that, no. That's all it is. You, you mentioned Sober Curious, and uh, I think that that movement is great because we, we've now got our alcohol-free drinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, here in South Africa, we've uh, we've even got an online shop now, and they, they've got more than 100 choices. Wow. So you can have them all delivered to your door anywhere in the country. So we, we can have fabulous drinks now. I mean, I must admit the alcohol-free wine is, is not great, but <laughs> the mm-hmm. beer is, and there's mm-hmm. lots of other nice mm-hmm. drinks, and they're a fabulous fabulous prop you know if you're going out you yeah. can be drinking that and then people aren't on your case so much and then the sober curious movement because i think there's such a stigma about this word alcoholic yeah i mean i don't know how you felt with the aa i think you have to say you're an alcoholic don't you but uh, there is a stigma about um that word you know we have to face that because when people think of alcoholics they don't think of someone like you used to be. <laughs> they think of a, a homeless man in the park, you know, clutching his his bottle of spirits. And they mm-hmm. think, well, I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did dry January. I can stop for a while. So I'm not possibly an alcoholic. So they carry on drinking. But now that the sober curious movements come, I, th- I think people can start saying, oh, well, I don't want to drink. I'm I'm sober curious at the moment. I'm just seeing what life's like without it. It can be much lighter, mm-hmm. don't you think? I think it is fantastic. 25 years ago, it wasn't there, right? There wasn't a so- sober curious. No. There wasn't any AFs. There weren't any gray drinkers. It allows people more space to find their recovery, yeah. Yeah. which is amazing you know so millions of people are going to find recovery that wouldn't have done otherwise just because of of two words yeah in the power of those words yeah it's really beautiful to have this sober curious movement kind of come up and and it's coming up fast and it allow i just go back to it allows people to find their path and there's so many pathways to recovery now whereas back then there weren't Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. So maybe, Lane, you can explain to us a little bit how, for for somebody that doesn't know anything about meditation, how can it help those of us that are in recovery? How can Mm -hmm. it help somebody that hasn't even stopped drinking yet, but they're thinking about it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It changes your thinking. Yeah. That's it. Like it changes the rumination, Mm. right? It changes that constant chatter that that's. Uh, somebody suffering from the disease of alcoholism, my brain is hardwired to uh, think a lot and look for an answer. Uh, And it's always wants more. Like it wants more chocolate. It wants more ice cream. It wants to go faster in a car, 
right? So it's always trying to think, how can I do that? And when I meditate and implement mindfulness, all of that goes away. Just stops. It just goes, it just stops. It, it just puts it at bay. And then I can move on in my day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It doesn't rob me of my life because all of that thinking, it robs me of my life. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it, I miss opportunities. You know, I remember early in my early recovery, I missed huge opportunities because I was still in this thing, these loops, like ruminating about things. Well, how come she got it? How come I didn't get it? And why can't I do this better? And then, and then, no, yeah. it helps you find peace. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it does that. It changes, um, you know, just your whole body, you know, like sleeping at night. Oh, I used to, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. And a lot of people in recovery really suffer from that because they've been sedating themselves with the wine for years and then they're just lying there yeah. going, how do I sleep without yeah. my booze? Bonus benefit. Uh, just, yeah. you know, changing your nightly sleep. <laughs> and then when you sleep at night, you can function, right? During yeah. the next day, you're not like all agitated and irritated and ready to bite somebody's head off. <laughs> Your your podcast is called Recover Like a Mother. Yes, and Recover Like a Mother. The website is, just tell us the website again, because I'm sure yep. a lot of people that I work with will, will be very interested in, in the work you do. Recoverlikeamother.com. There you heard me talking to Lane Kennedy. Let's pick out a few highlights from that conversation. Lane told us that her drinking life was a glamorous one, and it was great fun until it wasn't. Her drinking was inconsistent. Sometimes she could stop after two glasses. Other times she'd have to drink until she blacked out. She even beat up her best friend during one blackout. One thing she did notice, though, was that she drank differently to her friends. She lived in a big house in the Hollywood Hills, complete with five closets full of clothes. But in spite of all this stuff, she was unhappy. And she drank to help her figure out why. Lane didn't have a specific rock bottom, but she knew that her whole life was falling apart. Some well-meaning friends actually tricked her into attending an AA meeting where she was offered cookies and a warm welcome, and she heard the message of recovery for the very first time. It took her a year to get sober. It was not an easy path, and at first she missed alcohol as her coping mechanism, but gradually she found more healthy ways to live. 9-11 was a huge shock for the whole world, but it changed Lane's life. She was already 15 years sober at this point, but it deepened her recovery journey further. She left the US and joined a Buddhist retreat in Thailand for a month. She shaved her head, slept on planks and meditated. She came to the life-changing realisation that although she'd left the US looking for safety, the only safety any of us will ever find is deep within ourselves, and meditation enables us to connect with that place. Lane explains that meditation gets her to the place she was actually looking for when she drank, a place of peace, and she now believes that meditation and mindfulness are the key to handling addiction. 
do have a listen to her podcast, Recover Like a Mother, as she has episodes devoted to meditations, so you can begin to experience the possibility of building a meditation practice of your own. We talked about the mommy juice syndrome and how motherhood is glamorised via social media, meaning that the real thing comes as a bit of a shock to many new mothers. The combination of this shock, plus the social norms around drinking to manage parenthood, pushes many moms to drinking on a daily basis, which of course can actually damage their close connection with their children. We talked about the importance of sober influencers, and in fact Lane's podcast, Recover Like a Mother, gives her a valuable platform for sober moms to explain that yes, there is an alternative. We talked about the normalisation of drinking in today's society and agreed that when we are sober, we can see through all the BS in the marketing and we can have fun spotting the way that all our movie stars are drinking wine on the screen, even though many of them are actually in recovery themselves, so it must be fruit juice. We agreed that if we don't educate ourselves about the harm that alcohol does to our brains and our bodies, we leave ourselves more vulnerable to being educated by the movies that alcohol is glamorous and essential to a happy life. It's actually an act of rebellion these days to be a non-drinker and we need courage and confidence to ditch the drink but it's just about the best thing that we can do to change our lives for the better and discover who we really are. We talked about the Sober Curious movement People no longer have to get categorised as an alcoholic if they announce they've stopped drinking for a while. They can say that they are simply sober curious and they want to see how their life feels without alcohol in it. This is such a positive development and will enable millions more people to find the space to recover, the space to try sobriety. And many of them will decide that yes, they actually prefer their lives without hangovers. Who wouldn't? Lane explained that back in 1996, there was only AA, and of course the Sober Curious movement didn't exist. She's delighted at the numerous pathways that are available these days. It's so important to find your people. If you're looking to change your drinking habits, we recommend that you try different groups, including Tribe Sober, of course. Just hit tribesober.com for more info. And to find out more about Lane just go to her website, which is recoverlikeamother.com. Her podcast is also called Recover Like a Mother, and she's also on Instagram. And she pops up regularly on Clubhouse, which is where we met. So that's it from me. Don't forget that it's your last chance to post that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot of your review and DM it to Tribe Sober's Instagram page, That'll be your entry for our competition. Winner will be announced next week, so please enter right now before you forget. The prize will be a free one-hour Zoom coaching session with our awesome recovery coach, Lynette. By the way, all new members have a session with Lynette, so if you want to be sure that you don't miss out on that coaching session, just hit tribesober.com, join our tribe and sign up today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. See you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. 
And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.